Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. Please don't forget the donate button and subscribe and share and all the buttons. I will be back in just a few seconds to talk about Belarus. On May 23rd, Ryanair Flight 4978 was a regularly scheduled international passenger flight from Athens to Vilnius, Lithuania. While in Belarusian airspace, it was diverted by the Belarusian government to Minsk National Airport, where two of its passengers, Roman Prostevich and his girlfriend, Sofia Sepega, were arrested by authorities, apparently on the orders of the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko. The flight was escorted to Minsk by a Belarusian fighter jet under the pretense of a bomb threat. The act was denounced by the United States, United Kingdom, European Union, NATO, and some civil aviation authorities as an act of air piracy and state terrorism, a violation of international law, including the Chicago Convention on International Civil Aviation. The Western media hit the roof, denouncing Lukashenko as an authoritarian pro-Russian dictator who should be isolated as an international pariah. So just who is Lukashenko and why is he now enemy number one? Okay, number two after Putin. For starters, Belarus is a landlocked country in Eastern Europe. It's bordered by Russia to the east and northeast, Ukraine to the south, Poland to the west, and Lithuania and Latvia to the northwest. It has a population of around 9.3 million. During the days of the Soviet Union, it was an industrial powerhouse. Lukashenko has been in power since 1994, considered the last free election to have been held. He's been accused of many human rights violations, including a report issued on September 1, 2020 by the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights that declared that its experts had received reports of 450 documented cases of torture and ill treatment of people who were arrested during the protests following the presidential election. The experts also received reports of violence against women and children, including sexual abuse, rape with rubber batons. There seems little doubt that Lukashenko is a brutal authoritarian dictator, to use a phrase the Western media prefers. But why does Europe and the United States get so worked up over his abuses when so many other such regimes are considered allies? Now joining us to answer this question is Margozeta Kubicheska-Figat. She's deputy editor of the Polish left-wing website Strike, and she's a journalist for Tribuna Daily and an expert in Eastern European politics and the modern history of Russia. She's now preparing her PhD thesis on the Catholic Orthodox relations in the Russian Empire. I'm Boyan Stanislavski. He's a Bulgarian and Polish activist, journalist, editor, and publisher in the late 90s. He was active in the Polish left and later in the labor movement, particularly in the Polish Labor Federation, the All-Poland Trade Union Alliance. And since 2012, he's been editor-in-chief of its magazine. He's a contributor at Barricada or Barricade and at Strike.eu. And he's also Polish correspondent for the Bulgarian National Radio. So, you know, start with kind of the bigger geopolitical picture, and then we'll get more into the domestic issues of Belarus and regional politics. But, but the question again is, why are they making such an issue of Lukashenko when we've seen things like this, including even bringing down airplanes we've seen before, and it hasn't caused such an uproar? The question is absolutely justified, as we hear uh, as terrific news as the ones that came from Belarus from many countries of the world. But I think that the answer is very simple for Lukashenko's Belarus is right now the only state in Central Eastern Europe and the, I, no, the only state in Eastern Europe and definitely the only state in the northeastern, northern part of Eastern Europe, which is not yet a loyal ally, if not to say vassal of the United States. Belarus under Lukashenko has been trying to uh, conduct its own foreign politics between Russia and the West, balancing, uh, balancing possible profits from being associated with the Russia, with Russian Federation, and uh, having good relations with the European Union. 
definitely being an American satellite in the way the Baltic states are, or Ukraine has become, it is definitely not what Lukashenko wants to do. So uh, the democratic opposition in Belarus has been supported for over a decade by governments of neighboring countries of Belarus, who for both historical and very current uh, geopolitical reasons want to see another government in Belarus. So Lukashenko is now uh, steering towards uh, better relations with Russia, uh, but uh, what he def- what he definitely wants is to keep the power for himself and not to make, as I said, not to make his country yet another satellite of the United States. Uh, and that is why there is so much interest in uh, denouncing what is new, denouncing his actions, criticizing him for being undemocratic, and. Um, that, that is basically why uh, the Western media are so much concerned with the fate of Roman Protasevich and other Belarusian protesters. Well, I'm not going to say that uh, Alexander Lukashenko is a great guy and all, we all should look to Belarus as an example to follow, because I don't think he is. Uh, he uh, he came to power in 1994, as you said, representing the hope of Belarusians not to share the fate of their neighbors, which were badly hit by the neoliberal transformation started after the fall of the Soviet Union. And uh, with he's been now ruling for over 20 years, and I I would risk saying that he became quite demoralized by so long time of of being at the head of the country. And uh, so uh, right now he is also fighting to survive, to to keep ruling Belarus. He really doesn't imagine his future outside of the country or not being the president of Belarus. So... um, uh, if uh, I know that some of the left-wing commentators even tend to think that he might be building a kind of a socialist state in Eastern Europe, well, he is definitely not. And uh, but nevertheless, we must uh, we must say that he is trying to keep his state independent of the Western influence, and he is trying to keep his country balanced. He, until until last year, he tried to keep balancing between Russia and the West. And this is not something that the United States or the European Union would like. They wanted another Ukraine in Belarus. They wanted the country to steer definitely in the Western direction, uh, which would also mean the end of Lukashenko's rule. And this is something that he would not uh, easily agree. Boyan, uh, when we look at the situation, you know, that gets triggered by the... Uh, forced landing of the Ryan airplane. It seems to me you have to kind of parse this. You know, there, there's the hypocrisy of the West. Uh, as we know, the Americans actually even forced down a plane with Evo Morales looking for uh, Snowden. Uh, so this certainly isn't the first plane. They actually ordered been... the Austrians to do that for them. So the Austrians, right. you know, acted on the behalf of the Americans. So it's even, you know, a cascading kind of uh, thing. C- cascading hypocrisy. Yeah. But, but, but you also, Lukashenko is, uh, as far as I can understand, I haven't been there, so based on what I know, you guys are a lot closer to the situation. But as far as I get it, he is a brutal dictator. Like most of what he's accused of, it sounds like is legitimate. So you kind of have to separate this this issue about the right of um, the people well, of Belarus. Look, I, I don't, well, I don't hold, entirely... on, hold on, let me, let me finish the point. There's a right of the people of Belarus to resist against the reactionary regime. On the other hand, there's the geopolitics and the role of the West of manipulating these struggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're totally right. I think that this is the problem that I have with the West and with its uh, foreign policy, particularly with Washington's foreign policy, because there's this absolutely justifiable grief of the Belarusian, of the part of the Belarusian population that wants to protest against Lukashenko. And I think that the reasons and the premises for that protest were absolutely genuine. The, the, the point is only that, you know, you got to look at it. Uh, I mean, you got to look at the bigger picture, right? Because, uh, I mean, you can, the, in, 
in Poland, in Belarus, in Russia, in France, in, in, in the United States, in Canada, there are reason, there is one reason after another for protests, for mass mobilizations. And, you know, we can talk about it until, you know, to use the American expression, until the cows come home, right? And, and there, there are problems everywhere. Now, the, the thing is that, uh, you know, it's, I'm totally for, uh, opposing regimes, uh, brutal regimes, those that use repression, state repression, violence against, uh, you know, their own citizens. And this is the case in Belarus, but this is also the case in France. And this has been the case in France for the last three years. And I got to tell you that, you know, I hate this kind of comparisons, but still, you know, Lukashenko, brutal as he might be, and brutal as he is, actually, he never went to the... Uh, the, the the brutalization of the protesters never went to the extent that then you know to what we compare uh, to what we observed in France. Okay, so I think we really have to have a sense of proportion when we want to discuss that. And of course, I do believe in the in the right of the citizens to defend themselves against repression or to, def you know, to even defend their positions that the power doesn't want to, uh, somehow the powers that be don't want to consider, right? And they want to protest. But uh, there is an element here that we have to, uh, th that we kind of just ignore, which is the Western hand in the whole of it, okay? And when you look at this guy, Protasevich, he makes the impression of being like, a classical case of a regime change agent. All right, he's been uh, one. Uh, he he's been one of those, uh, I, I guess, founders, if I remember correctly. Mokshata, please correct me if I'm wrong. Of the Nexta uh, Telegram channel and a kind of video channel uh, linked to that, which is based out in, uh, from Poland. Okay, and then uh, you know they actually apprehended him uh, 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 during his trip from Athens to Lithuania. No one's talking about what he was actually doing in Athens. And he was participating in a so-called Delphi forum together with a guy, uh, uh, with the uh, former ambassador of the United States in Ukraine, Payat, I think is his name. Uh, and, uh, you know, Payat, I, I'm not sure whether people in America or I don't know, internationally are actually familiar with this persona, but he's not just, uh, he's a very important American bureaucrat and, and, and he's not just a hawk. Okay, I mean, he's a guy who wants to take down Russia. This is his mission. This is his obsession, maybe. So he met with this guy over there. And I, I guess, and this is just my speculation. I don't have any uh, evidence for this. But I think that he was, he might have been, uh, make, uh, the, the Belarusians might have suspected that he was carrying something from Payat or from other people like Payat that he met in Athens to Vilnius, where uh, the, uh, 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 the, the leader, the star of the Belarusian opposition resides, uh, Tikhonovskaya, and uh, they wanted to know what that something is. So uh, I'm not sure whether that uh, they did actually find anything or not, but one thing is sure, uh, is certain, they made him sing. And, you know, once he was put in prison, uh, like judging by everything I read in the Russian and Belarusian media, uh, it, it looks like he gave them everything like all the sponsors, all the connections, all the contacts. And then, of course, they made him go on the Belarusian TV and say all those weird things, which was totally North Korean standards. But uh, this this seems to have been on the part of Lukashenko and his regime, if you like, a very clever move. Because it, it reminds me, actually, of what happened in Russia in the beginning of the 21st century when Putin was scratching his head wondering like what what's going on here you know not being able to actually identify the players the international players and the internal proxies of those international players so one day he actually ordered the uh special whatever special task force in his secret service or the police to uh to invade to storm the to break in really i mean there was no storming it uh but to break in the uh headquarters of the uh russian open society foundation I can't remember exactly which year it was, but it was in the beginning of the 21st century. And uh, they didn't steal anything. No money were touched and stuff like that. They just took the, the computers and the hard disks. And the next day, the entire open society was on Putin's desks, desk with its legs widely spread. So I think that th this was pretty much the same kind of thing. That's, that, that's what they wanted to finally get to. I mean, who's behind it? And also, let, let's not forget that there's this story, which I 
initially didn't believe, but the more I read about it, the more convincing it started uh, to seem, uh, about the alleged attempt, coup attempt, against uh, Lukashenko and his family and some uh, very important uh, Belarusian bureaucrats, which was apparently stopped or uh, by the Russian secret services. So uh, I think that Lukashenko, uh, had he fallen during those protests, that would be, there would be no democracy, there would be no uh, human rights and stuff like that. Uh, you know, all the, all the things that the Western audience hopes for after Lukashenko is removed, what would uh, follow is, would probably be a wave of huge repression against Lukashenko. He, you know, he might have ended up dead. I, I could easily imagine that. And uh, against the many people that still support him, because it's only in the Western mind that when there are dictators or authoritarian leaders, that they have no support. Everybody's against them, but they're still there. And Lukashenko, everybody has been against him since 1994, but he's still there against the will of the, of the entire population. Well, that's not true. He has enjoyed for a long, long, long period of time, for, you know, two decades, he has enjoyed a lot of support, decreasing support, that's true, but a lot of support, and he still does enjoy a lot of support, not 88%, like they say in the you know in this in those fake election results but i think that i i can bet that it's over fifty uh, percent of the population and also he does enjoy uh, uh you know um he does enjoy a certain amount of support not only based on his policies which are bad policies and i agree with malgojata but also on the basis of nostalgia and fear People are nostalgic about the Soviet Union on the one hand, and also they fear they don't want to end up like uh, they don't want to 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 see the Ukrainian scenario, for example, uh, happening in Belarus, or they don't want to be a puppet states of the uh, you know of the United States or the European Union, like Poland or the Baltic uh, states or Bulgaria, Romania, for that matter, are. And they don't want to be in NATO. And this is like, you know, there are many, many contradictions which the Western media never presented. They're not even interested in this. But, uh, you know, to organize an anti-Russian opposition movement in Belarus is something super artificial, almost impossible. And, you know, those attempts by people like Protasevich and, and, and you know, and, and the likes of him and the NGOs... Uh, you know, sponsored from the beginning of their, you know, from the point of their emergence, sponsored and, and, and basically funded by the West. All right. They are, they are not a point of reference in, in terms of the uh, internal Belarusian political process, which is a dictatorial one. And Lukashenko definitely has rever uh, resorted to some major authoritarian measures, particularly over the last five or six years. And, uh, you know, Mangujata spoke about him uh, being uh, trying to maneuver between the West and the East and trying to be clever. Well, I think he only thinks he could be that clever, but in fact, he can be. It's just fear. I mean, he fears that the closer he gets to Russia, the more his family and his clan and his bureaucracy are going to get eaten up by the much more powerful, okay, bureaucracy and oligarchy of, uh, you know, that operates in Russia. So he wanted to kind of prevent that. And in order to be able to prevent that, he had to lean a little bit towards the West. But the West doesn't want Belarus as it is right now. The West, if it comes to the point of, of making a choice, they're going to put them, at, uh, they're going to, you know, put a gun at their head and they're going to say, like they said in the case of Ukraine, I don't know whether you remember that, but in 2014, uh, the European Union said that, the, that Ukraine must make a civilizational choice whether they're going to, you know, be with Russia or, or, uh, or whether they're going to be with the EU or the West, you know, the collective West, as the Russians like to say. And uh, Ukraine wasn't prepared to make that choice, that kind of choice. It was forced to make that, and you see what happened. And Belarus, all the more, is not prepared to make such choice. But also, the other element of fear is that Lukashenko couldn't go too much towards the West because he would have been taken down by his own army, if you like, which is almost, you know, on operational level, it's, it's pretty much together like tight at the hip, uh, at the hip with the uh, with the American uh, so sorry with the Russian army I'm sorry for the mistake uh, so you know at the moment the situation is that he doesn't seem to have much of a choice now he's got to wait and he's got to be very uh, very obedient obviously to Putin who saved his uh, perhaps even life if we uh, take the story of 
the alleged coup attempt seriously. And uh, obviously now the West has achieved the effect exactly opposite to the one it intended to achieve, that is to drag Belarus even further from Russia. Well, now it's it, it's closer to Russia than it has ever been, okay, from the moment of the split, for, uh, of the fall apart of the Soviet Union, and it depends on Russia totally, in terms of, in, in any aspect, really. And it's obvious to any thinking person that knows anything about the region that now the fate of Belarus is in Russia's hand and Lukashenko's fate as well, and that the events, the you know, what follows after Lukashenko will be decided by the heavy hand of Moscow and no one else. Uh, and uh, I think that that's the situation we're facing. And again, as much as I hate uh, Lukashenko's uh, political culture, his ideas, I think it's not the role of the West to, uh, first of all, uh, make the choice for the people uh, who's going to rule there and what way they're going to go. And uh, also, I do not quite think that there is that this is necessarily a better alternative because people are tend to think that because Lukashenko is a dictator, everything will be better than Lukashenko. Everything will be better. Well, I'm not sure. How about you just go to other Eastern European countries like Bulgaria, for example, where I'm from, and you ask them about the civilizational degradation, about the level of destitution they've been experiencing over the last 30 years. And how about you ask them if they, if they prefer to have this and democracy, quote unquote, okay, that we have, or they would have preferred to have someone like Lukashenko, who is an author, would have been an authoritarian leader, his equivalent in Bulgaria, but would have preserved something, you know, from the old times. And this is pretty much what what, what now uh, Belarus is. It's an open air museum. If you go there, you will see pretty much, you know, uh, the 80s. Like everything is clean. You know, there there's there's like the public transit works fantastically well. Uh, public services are available, free for everyone, and so on and so forth. People's, uh, you know, standards aren't too high, okay, because the Eastern Bloc was pretty poor in the 80s. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's nothing in comparison to the destitution, for example, in places like Bulgaria or Romania and, and the thing that they've experienced over the last 30 years. Uh, Margazetta, you, you said something interesting, uh, which was that some of the left in the West, I, I think it's a pretty small f fraction, but some... Uh, are talking about Lukashenko as an anti-imperialist, a socialist. Um, talk a little about the history of that. And, and just, you know, there is a lot of state ownership in uh, uh, Belarus, but what does that mean in terms of what kind of system it is? Lukashenko came to power uh, in 1994, uh, promising people that they will not suffer the fate of Lithuanians, of Ukrainians, of Latvians and uh, all other nations of the Soviet Union, which faced neoliberal capitalism in its ver worst possible version. And uh, basically, he, after being elected, he kept his promise and he stopped privatizing, he stopped massive privatizations. So the biggest factories of the Soviet era were preserved in Belarus. They keep working, uh, they keep working as uh, state-owned enterprises, uh, and uh, still uh, factory workers are really a force in Belarus. Let me just remind that uh, during the protests after the presidential elections, factory workers were the strongest group on which the opposition counted. They really thought that if the factories stop because the workers go on political strikes, then Lukashenko would, would be forced to, to give up. And, uh, however, the strike did not, did not turn out as massive as they counted, and so Lukashenko survived. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there is one important thing you need to remember when talking about Belarusian economy. Belarusian state-owned economy uh, worked excellent when Belarus was a part of Soviet Union. It was really the best time in the modern history of Belarus, and I even would say the best time in the history of these lands ever, because uh, the factories were all integrated with uh, industry of the whole large country. The money was invested in uh, in social housing, 
in the, in the building cities in Belarus, which so earlier was a strictly agricultural region. The money was invested in the people's welfare, but all of that was possible when Belarus was a part of a bigger system. As a state, as an independent state, Belarus will never regain uh, full stability without Russia's support. They have no, virtually no natural resources. One for, uh, a big part of the country, in the south of the country, was degraded after the Chernobyl catastrophe. And so there can be no agriculture in this part, in this part of Belarus. Belarus is a landlocked country, as, as you noticed in the beginning. So without imports from Russia, without raw materials coming from Russia, all this state-owned state economy will, will collapse. And even now, some of the factories are uh, working more for, I would say, ideological reasons, so that they, they are not closed and does not demoralize the population, uh, rather, than, uh, rather than for purely economical reasons. And uh, Lukashenko, one uh, I would say a decade ago, Lukashenko realized that there is, if there is, if there is no socialism in a single state, then definitely there would be no socialism in Belarus alone. And he began steering towards a kind of mixed economy, keeping uh, still the dictatorial, the authoritarian regime in political terms. He gave some concessions to local entrepreneurs. He encouraged uh, the uh, development of uh, certain sectors. Uh, so, for example, the game World of Tanks appeared in Belarus at the time because, you know, computers, all this modern software stuff, that was encouraged very much. Uh, just like the leisure, I would say, the leisure industry, like cafes, you know, this tour tourism, all this kind of small local business in which Lukashenko tried to encourage young people to invest, young, young new investors. He, he thought that he would raise a, a class of local entrepreneurs who are absolutely incomparable to oligarchs, not, on, not from Russia, from the Ukraine, or even to the richest people of Poland, I'd say. Uh, but, uh, and so he would get a kind of, you know, mixed system with the state-owned core, but pretending to be a European version of the Soviet European version of the Soviet Union. Sadly, this did not work as it could not, because when uh, Lukashenko started to take the interest of the business more into considerations, more into consideration, he had to, it was inevitable that he would not be as concentrated on the welfare of working people as he was in the very beginning. And a few years ago, for example, the retirement age in Belarus was raised. It, was, it is still lower than in Poland, for example, but the very fact that such a reform was possible left a very left a devastating effect on the Belarusian people. And I think that uh, also, also Lukashenko started to pay less attention to inequalities and to the fact, for example, that salaries in Belarus particularly those outside of the capital city of Minsk, were not going up over the last few years, over the last decade, I would even say. So it turned out that, on one hand, Belarus has kept this, the, the state-owned uh, big enterprises. On the, uh, it's also kept the Soviet-style symbols. But on the other hand, it started to experience a typical problems of a peripheral kind of peripheral states where people are migrating from smaller towns and villages to the capital. When people are, are uh, not happy with the low wages. And when people see that there is a growing inequality between those who are close to the, to the power center, to Lukashenko and his circles, and the ordinary people. And I think that this sense of this content that was growing very slowly in Belarusian was also a factor that contributed to why these protests were so, so massive. Because I would like to say that people who were protesting did not ask to, to destroy all they know, to rebuild a completely new reality. They basically wanted that somebody takes over the system that Lukashenko builds, but steers it into more pro-social direction.
I had the opportunity to talk to some people who joined the protests, even though they had never been active in politics. And, you know, uh, talking about geopolitics or about the risks that are connected to Lukashenko's fall, talking, even telling them that Belarus could share Ukraine's fate did not really make impression on them. It was... One, it was even surprising to, to me as a lot of Belarusians have relatives in Ukraine and they are pretty familiar with what happened in that state. However, they be truly believed that by walking out to the streets and uh, changing Lukashenko for someone else, they, they would keep what was good in the system and make it even better and making it more democratic and more oriented toward the people. This does not change the fact that, as Boyan said, Lukashenko still has a base of supporters and that those people who protested in Minsk and other cities are, I would not say they are a tiny minority, but indeed they are still a minority. I agree with Boyan that hadn't the elections, had the real genuine results of the election been announced, it would have probably gave some 60-65% to Lukashenko, but you see... If there is a third, one third voting for change, then it is definitely something big. Especially in Belarus, where for the first decade of his rule, Lukashenko was was really called affectionately by the population as Batka, so the little father, so daddy. And it was it was not propaganda. People were really happy with. Uh, having such a leader and the uh, lack of democracy, the lack of liberal democracy was not something they would greatly suffer from at the time. However, I also think that uh, people in Belarus came to a point when they thought that their system cannot collapse, really, and that it could be only made better if there is a more like social leadership on the head. And sadly, they are not really into geopolitics, and they do not do not really understand that if Lukashenko fell, then he would be perhaps changed by somebody by somebody who introduces hardcore neoliberal politics right away. And it is even not a perhaps on my part, because I remember an incident last summer when Svetlana Tikhanovska, leader of the Belarusian opposition, was uh, participating in an economic forum in Poland. And she sat behind the table with a group of Polish politicians of both government and the opposition. And, you know, all of them agreed that Belarus must undergo drastic transformation. It is, must be modeled after what happened in Poland in the beginning of the 90s. And the woman did not, did, not, did not object to that. So basically, you know, that is something that will happen in Belarus if Lukashenko falls. And this is indeed tragic because I'm sure that nobody in the protesting crowds wanted such a scenario. I bet that nobody wanted to repeat the worst things in Poland, apart from those who, you know, I, I, by saying nobody, I'm, I've, I see, Boyan, that you want to object to that, so I can be more precise. <laughs> okay, there is a group of young Belarusians educated in Poland or visiting Poland on a regular basis. I know personally such people who are truly fascinated with Poland as it is today. And they think that by removing Lukashenko, you can get healthy democracy a more social state, and a state that gives opportunities to everybody at the same time. That this just will happen. I know that there are people who think it is possible. And if you say, tell them that Poland underwent the, a period of real misery for the most of the citizens, they say, okay, you had this experience, but then but you went through it and now everything is fine. For them, really for them, everything is fine. That's very important because they get uh, very serious ast state assistance. When you're a Belarusian uh, student or whatever, opposition leader, if you like, or an NGO member yes. or something, you're going to get a lot of assistance from the Polish state. And for you, life is amazing. They've got their own uh, TV station here, okay? Which is uh, uh, slandering uh, Lukashenko. That's their job. It's been established. Tell me, Mogzata, when I don't know, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, can't remember exactly. But that yeah, was that, that... about twenty years ago. Yes. Yeah, about twenty years ago, right? And and they've established this Belsat. It's called, and it's 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 supposed. You know, I, 
the only sole purpose of it is to uh, organize the Belarusian, commu Belarusian community here in Poland around it and against Lukashenko, of course, and, uh, and, and to pour money into it via all kinds of NGOs and other agents of, you know, regime change agent or uh, regime change organizations and so on and so forth. So that's, that, that's obviously one segment. And I think uh, if you allow me, Paul, to elaborate a little bit on the composition, so to say, of, of the protests and who is for what, uh, you know, from what I gather, it's like, of course, there are those vanguards of the protests. And those are people who are on the payroll of all the American-backed organizations. And uh, they are not very democratic, really. People seem to think that they are, but they aren't pretty much. You can see that in... Uh, well, if you want to see that, of course, if you want to see beyond the mainstream narratives, you will see that in Ukraine, those people that were funded by the U.S. are not really uh, the uh, lightest bulbs in the, uh, you know, democratic world, okay, or democratic no uh, values world, whatever. And uh, the same goes for Belarus. You've got uh, ridiculous people, Belarusian nationalists. Belarusian nationalism in itself is a ridiculous notion. You cannot really have Belarusian nationalism. If you know history, uh, some history of the of the Belarus, you, you could you could be maybe some kind of follower of of uh, you know German uh, colonists. Okay, that, that that's that's the furthest you can go. Okay, by uh, if you want to be a true genuine Belarusian nationalist, but uh, those people. Okay, so those people, the vanguards of the protest, the NGO members, you know, the professional anti Lukashenkoists, professional citizens, professional human rights. Uh, defenders and so on and so forth. And they definitely don't care. I mean, they would like to see probably Belarus going whichever way towards the West. And some of them believe that and some of them are cynical about it. You know, I, I can't guess the proportion, but obviously it was their job. Okay. Now, apart from that, we've got a large sector of the, uh, of the Belarusian youth that definitely did support those protests uh, without actually ignoring that factor, okay? The leadership and, and, and their ideas and so on and so forth. Now, why? Well, it's because they are naive. And I said uh, previously uh, previously about uh, Belarus being the kind of open-air museum of the 80s. It's the same, it's the repetition of the story of the 80s in Poland or in Bulgaria or in other Eastern European countries. People thought that we're going to have socialism, but, you know... Uh, but we're going to make it more equal. We're going to have democracy. We're going to keep all, you know, the social, uh, you know, benefits, the social system, the entire mm, construction. Okay. And on top of that, we're going to build some, some extras like human rights here and democracy there and so on and so forth. And we're going to have the entire decorum and, and, and things are going to be colorful like they were in the West in the eighties, whereas, uh, you know, in Poland or in the Eastern Bloc, when, uh, the economies were falling apart, they were gray and bleak and, and, you know, and everything, uh, was uh, somehow, well, worse, okay, in general. So I think that they look up, they look towards Poland, they look towards uh, uh, Czech Republic, and they see, they even travel there because, you know, Lukashenko is a dictator, but he doesn't ban traveling, okay? So you can travel and you can go back and no problem. And then, and they see the surface. And when you come to Warsaw, particularly to the center, and when you get state assistance on top of everything, of course you're going to say it's great. You see the skyscrapers and, you know, the sub, way brand new you know uh the the pavements clear the the sidewalks clean i mean uh you know the cafes and bars and nightlife and you know all kinds of stuff that of course i think people in Belarus definitely deserve to have that why shouldn't they they get it but uh you know it comes at a cost and they don't see that cost uh, and uh they don't see what kind of future uh the leadership of the protests uh you know last year's protests has for them as a surprise and uh, they don't know anything about what happened over you know the last 30 years in Poland or in the in the eastern bloc in general they just see the west pretty much in a, the same naive manner as the protesters saw the West in the 80s in Poland or other Eastern European bloc countries, that things are great there. And, you know, they didn't see the unemployment. They didn't see all kinds of stuff that are just part of the daily life of the working class in those countries, even more so now, right, than 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So uh, I, I think that that's another sector. And now, you know, the difference here, which I think is important to, uh, to mention, and the, the, one of the weaknesses, major weaknesses of Lukashenko is that exactly like the late bureaucrats of, in the Soviet Union, they did not invest anything, and he doesn't invest anything into, in, in convincing in this kind of marketing, okay? Uh, because Putin, for example, oh, he, like him and his administration and, you know, the 
local governments, they invest tons and tons of money and effort, real genuine effort to convince people that they live in the best possible of all worlds and that European Union is, is just, you know, a terrible place to live. And of course, it's exaggerated, okay? Because they, they just focus on all the all the problems that the that the countries in the European Union do have, obviously. And there are some major, major problems, like for example, Bulgaria being a country of, you know, I mean, it's a third world country really, okay, by all indicators, despite the fact that it's formally in the European Union. So they will exploit that kind of stuff or violence against uh, the yellow vest, for example, right? Which was nothing. Yeah. I mean, sorry, which was a major, major thing in comparison to even events in Belarus, let alone the kind of repression of the protesters against Navalny, for example, who means nothing, again, just to, uh, in a way, uh, throw that thought in, in, in Russian politics. And, uh, <clears throat> and Lukashenko didn't do that. That's why those people were left to kind of cultivate this naive uh, understanding that in the West, everything is fantastic and Europe is great and, you know, the West is the best, okay? So uh, this is uh, this is probably the beating heart of the protests. I mean, that's how I imagine it. It, it must have it must have looked like. Is there no part of the protests that gets not what's you know does not want to be associated or under any kind of submissive position to the West? They don't want uh, what's been happening in some of the other Eastern European countries. On the other hand, they don't want Lukashenko, and they also don't want. You know, to be under, is there a kind of progressive left, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, well, that's uh, on the fringes of movement. You are able to find that. Unfortunately, according to the knowledge that I have and Mongojata, please, I mean, you, you could elaborate on that. You've got much more expertise than myself. But I, what I can see in Ukraine, in Belarus, in Bulgaria, not Eastern European countries, the problem of the left is that it models itself on models itself on on, on the Western European left. And this is something that doesn't bring any results, okay? Because the understanding, the political culture, the whatever, the general culture, if you like, is totally different. And those kind of uh, things aren't just going to work. And I'm afraid that because of this self-isolation, okay? I mean, the, those self-inflicted wounds, politically speaking, that, uh, you know, the left in Eastern Europe had suffered over, uh, have suffered over the last 30 years, it's it's just uh, there is an element of that obviously, and it did support the protests, uh, but it's it's a marginal thing. Let me just notice one thing: it is of course there are some groups in Belarus that model themselves after the Western Western liberal left, and this is a way to nowhere. I agree with Boyan, but there is yet another question. The question I actually for Lukashenko did a lot over last fifteen years not to let the workers organize and not to let any genuine workers-based left to emerge from below. As you can imagine, if there are big state-owned enterprises in, Be in Belarus, and if there are really huge centers of the working class, even in the capital, this could have been a fertile ground for left-wing social democratic or even just trade union organizers. Lukashenko did... Um, uh, the, uh, Lukashenko does not want to permit that, and that is why the workers in Belarus are all supposed to belong to. A, well, they are not. It is not obligatory, but it is well seen to belong to a state-based uh, trade unions uh, organization, which actually does nothing serious for the workers. You know, apart from some petty social benefits uh, on the big, uh, on the on the for a New Year's Eve or something like that, and. Any independent efforts to organize were really were, were not well were not were not welcomed by the factory leaders and factory uh, and uh, I would even say that some of those people trying to organize the workers from below were actually persecuted. So were the anarchist movement in Belarus that emerged at the beginning of the 90s, but also were down. So uh, basically, if the workers in Belarus wanted to hear now some other alternative program, not liberal, democratic, and uh, anti-Lukashenko, but not liberal, democratic, there would be really no one to preserve such an alternative to them. And uh, this is also, as I, I would like to stress it once again, this is a result of conscious Lukashenko's policy, who preferred to build up a loyal class of 
petty owners and the mid and small business class, and he hoped to uh, to uh, build up on these people. Then, but on the other uh, on the other hand, he was absolutely ruthless towards some uh, independent attempts to organize the working class. And uh, so that is why now in Belarus, theoretically, we have a socialist party, which is big, which has a lot of members and which is even present in Belarusian parliament, which means really nothing in the state's political structure. But also its role in uh, the real politics is limited to zero. Well, they are there and they say that it is important and these social achievements of the Soviet Union, but their voice is not really something that Lukashenko would listen to. So, um, and if you ask about left-wing participation in the protests, there were left-wing groups, but Boyan, was, Boyan is right when he says they were on absolute margins of the movement, but not because they are not honest people. It is also, it's also because of the fact that there was no ground for the socialist movement, from the independent socialist movement to grow uh, in Belarus over the last decade. And indeed, some of the organizations also made those mistakes that Boyan was talking about, were like trying to repeat uh, the Western model of being left-wing that is prevailing today. And I would like also to point out one thing. At the beginning of the protests, there were also left-wing activists arrested. They were, all, they were also put in prison. And uh, also the organizers of a political strike at Belarus Kali, which is one of the biggest state-owned enterprises in Belarus, were also uh, sentenced to prison uh, for their participation in the protests and for organizing strike. And really nobody in Western media really paid attention to those people. Nobody not even noticed that there is a fraction, a fraction in the, in the Belarusian protest who is coming with their own program, who is coming, who is standing for keeping the social state as much as it achieved and, and making it democratic. Uh, the Western media preferred to notice uh, another tiny minority, those were um, uh, that those were the Belarusian nationalists uh, uh, calling for decommunization of Belarus, so throwing down all the statues of the Soviet leaders, uh, throwing, uh, changing the names of the streets connected to communist movements that are still left in Belarus. Uh, so you, you see what are the priorities of the West. So they want to portray the protest as a liberal movement, which is definitely does not. And uh, it is even it is very sad for me to say that uh, sadly the left wingers in Belarus have very the prospects for the left wing opposition in Belarus now is really very bleak because as the opposition the opposition figures were thrown to prisons now it is, in Belarus it is illegal even to show on the, even to uh, even to stream to show on, on the media a protest that was not agreed with authorities. So if there is an illegal demonstration and the journalist shows up there, then he is also guilty of a crime. So if a journalist goes to a protest that wasn't sanctioned by the government, the journalist is committing a crime. Yes. Yes, he, 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 he simply bad, can't. He can't show this event because it was not sanctioned by the authorities. And um, uh, so uh, I saw definitely if Lukashenko's regime was authoritarian regime before the protests, now it, go, uh, now it grew even worse. And at the same time, there are really little protests for genuine democratization because, as I said, there was no grants to go. For an, under from this, uh, for a workers' opposition, for a truly left-wing democratic opposition over the last decade. Okay, listen. Uh, what, what we should do is uh, this is a needs to be a longer conversation. So so let's let's wind this up for today, and 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 uh, we're going to do another session on this, and not uh, more about Belarus, but also we're going to expand the conversation to more of the region the whole rise of authoritarianism and uh, the role of the West, the role of Russia. So uh, this is just the beginning for this. So I, I thank you both for joining me today. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll both come back again soon. 
and uh, and we'll carry this on because clearly this point it's 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 this part of Europe uh, that is so much at the at the center of the contention between the United States and Russia and the, in certainly in the Western media uh, there's very little attempt to, to actually understand not the politics and the peoples of this area so so we're going to try to really pay attention here yeah a, a quick a quick last word boy right so now i wasn't really gonna make any particularly you know smart closing remarks uh, i just want to say that things are terribly bad uh, of course in uh, in in terms of dictatorial measures okay uh, that that are applied by lukashenko uh, but you know when Moljeva spoke about uh, journalists not being able to actually report in certain events or show live uh make live sessions you know on uh live streaming on on various uh, social platforms what it what immediately struck me was the thought of the spanish gag law which i think is still in place uh, or at least i'm not aware of it being uh somehow dismissed uh is that for example you are not allowed as a journalist or as an uh citizen okay to report on evictions you are not allowed to do that it's explicitly forbidden to record and play it publicly how evictions unfolded so uh it's not unique to belarus i just you know kind of want to say that but again it's no excuse for lukshenka i mean two there's this uh saying i heard i don't know whether it's american british but it's it's like two wrongs do not equal one right and i totally stand by that but i think it's very important for people to you know be able to look at bigger picture and not to let them let them be you know get carried away and demonize lukashenko or putin or whomever okay thank you both for joining me thanks thank you and thank you for joining us on the analysis.news please don't forget the donate button all the buttons And as I say, we're going to carry this discussion on uh, for quite some time. Music